Hello, Pace here. This was recorded in June 2022, so almost a year ago, and it was originally going to be part of our Season 3 on Vampires. You will even hear a reference to our episode on Blade that came out that June. But as is often the case, life got in the way. I had a major surgery, moved to the Midwest, started the divorce process, on and on. But it's finally out now. Brian G. Murphy was such an incredible guest, and it was awesome to have him on the podcast. I'm so glad we finally are dropping this episode for all of you to hear. If you have not already listened to parts one and two of our polyamory miniseries, check out our show notes for links to those episodes. We have one more minisode coming out on polyamory, probably in early June of this year, 2023, which will likely be a panel, so more information on that will be coming soon. In the meantime, here is this episode. Just a note. Content warnings for this episode include discussions of queer phobia, human sexuality, relationships, and sexual assault. You're listening to Horror Nerds at Church, a ridiculously queer podcast where we usually take a deep dive into a horror film and talk about what it can teach us about God, the Bible, and each other. But today is one of our mini-sodes, it's our 10th one, where we share your real-life church horror stories instead. And I'm Pace. I'm Emily. And I'm Brian G. Murphy. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, For our listeners at home, Brian G. Murphy is the co-founder of QueerTheology.com and is well known for his writing and workshops on spirituality and sexual ethics, including polyamory. His work at QueerTheology.com has reached over a million people in over 200 countries and territories. Holy cow, that's a lot and awesome. Uh, Through courses, workshops, and a coaching practice, he has supported thousands of spiritual seekers, monogamous and polyamorous, LGBTQ and straight cisgender, in building uh, relationships and sexual ethics that reflect their deepest values. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, Before we get into this, so today we're uh, just a quick overview of the series. We had part one, which was kind of introduction to polyamory. So if you're just landing on this episode for the first time and you're not familiar with polyamory, you might want to check that out. Uh, part two, we talk specifically about the church and polyamory and some of the theologic, the, the theology behind polyamory and um, ways that you can express that theologically. This one, we're interviewing uh, our special guest, Brian G. Murphy. And then uh, next one, we will focus um exclusively on real life church polyamory stories that you have been submitting to us so continue to submit those you can do that um at the link in the show notes and also we'll announce that on air towards the end uh but announcements uh this episode's coming out a little bit later than anticipated so thank you but uh just scheduling stuff gets in the way of living in the pandemic and ongoing all that stuff so (laughs) but here we are uh, I don't have anything else. Do you have anything else, Emily? Um, I don't know. I'm. It's good to have you on here, as Pace said, um, Brian, and good to. I've I've followed on Twitter, and so it's fun to have actual conversations in real time. Yeah, right. it's fun for me as well. I mean, like you know, we post on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube and emails, but like 
I what I love the most is like when people actually like reply to emails or reply to D, to, to tweets or like slide into our DMs. Like I I'm not just like I don't know putting my voice out there just to be heard. <laughs> that I, I I like you know like actual relationships and getting to know folks um, yeah. is really meaningful to me. And so I'm excited to get to do that with you two, um, Emily and Pace, and and hopefully I'll hear from some of y'all's listeners too. Well, I think that's a good transition to our first question for you, which is, uh, uh, we mentioned your bio a little bit about queertheology.com and also your podcast and some of the other work you do. So are you willing to tell us a little bit more about that and um, what kind of stuff our listeners can expect if they haven't heard of those things yet? Yeah, for sure. I've been reflecting recently on just how different the LGBTQ Christian landscape was. I don't know, God, nine and 10 years ago when we started <laughs> Christology.com, that like if you only come out in the past few years or like you've only um, been sort of like getting involved like online, you might think that like <laughs> queer Christianity has always been this sort of like radically inclusive space. And like, I don't know, when we, 10 years ago, the conversation was all about like, is it okay to be gay and Christian? Like, is it okay to be trans and Christian? And like side A versus side B, let's just like get together in a room and debate that every year, like for forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and Father Shay and I, who started, who I started it with, were just like, oh my God, like there's, that's like, it's okay to be LGBTQ and Christian is like the starting point of the conversation in our minds, mm-hmm. like not the end. And when we limit ourselves to like constantly debating is it okay to be queer and christian is it okay to be polyamorous and christian we like a do violence to our spirit i think by just even sort of like putting that out into the ether and also just like limit ourselves there's like so much more that queerness has to offer faith in general and christianity in particular and like we waste all of our time like spinning our wheels on like on this hamster wheel when um i think that how queerness is a blessing is so much more of a rich conversation. And so um, we've like Shane, and I've been friends for a long time and he was living in Minneapolis and I was living in New York and we were like Google chatting one day and he was like, no one owns queertheology.com. Should we like buy it and do something with it? <laughs> um, and I was like, yeah, let's do it. And like, we both were, had very little money in a bank account. So like I paid $6 and he paid $6 so that we could afford the like $12 domain. Um and we didn't know what to do for a few months. And then we we had both found that, like, queering the Bible had been so impactful for us and so much more meaningful than just, like, doing apologetics. And so we were like, let's teach a, a course on that. So we, like, 12 people were going to teach this course. And, like, I don't know, 10 or 12 people signed up. And so we did that. And then we just, like, kept doing it. And then we added in a podcast that for the first many years followed the lectionary and gave, like, a queer perspective on the lectionary. Because we were like, there's more than these seven verses to give a queer take on. Like, let's <laughs> let's yeah. look at some of them. Um, and over the years, like, people wanted a community. And so we started an online community. And so now we have Sanctuary Collective, which is our online community and sort of, like, resource hub that hosts a bunch of courses and workshops on everything from like building a sexual ethic that like is values driven, but isn't like church driven. Um, that is like actually mm-hmm. sort of your actual values and Ethically exploring trans. Driven. Yeah, exactly. And uh, like transgender theology and like sort of our, our flagship course is um, querying the Bible, which is all about telling your own queer sacred story by merging like your queer experiences with a passage from scripture um and we're just wrapping up if the students are in the process of like submitting their 
their drafts for our, we're gonna have like a pride themed worship. That's all of their queer stories. And it's just like, oh my God, like these are passages I've read dozens and dozens of times. And like, I'm, there's still new insights to be found when you're like willing to vulnerably show up and say like, and bring your whole self to your, to your faith or your whole self to the Bible and be like, here's how my trans experience informs, you know, Acts 2 or Ezekiel 37, or here's how my polyamory experience informs Genesis 1 through 3. Um, and so I'm just like totally in awe over like our community members. Um, so that's like sort of where we're at right now. And of course, like we have a, a bunch of resources on Christianity and polyamory as well. That's awesome. And that's a gift for, I know, for this podcast. And I have a blog that's querying.org um, that does follow the lectionary text. And those both have been started since, queer the- since queertheology.com. Um, yeah. But it has been a gift, right, that in starting Horror Nerds at Church, in doing Nerds at Church, in doing querying, um, we don't have to start with an apologetics we get to start from the assumption that being queer and faithful is a thing yeah right like not even that it's valid that it's okay but like that that is reality yeah (laughs) and then move from there into deeper queer theology that really can kind of look at the power dynamics yeah it's so awesome it's just like uh, any argument that you're hearing about like why the bible doesn't actually condemn homosexuality is like at least 50 years old at this point like no one's yeah. adding anything new <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like the arguments are that like it's it's all they people either like one or they don't like virginia remy mullencott was like wrote is the homosexual my neighbor like i don't know at least 50 years ago or, like john shelby spong like these are like these are questions that like have been answered and so like like let them be answered <laughs> and then yeah. like add your unique voice and perspective to the conversation so that we can actually drive it forward rather than stay stuck in like definitely um also i like that you're doing what i think most of us in the like millennialist genre do of saying 50 years ago was 1950s i do that like, oh yeah it's like 70 yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i was like 50 yeah. years ago yeah and then i was like 1950s and he's like well yep i actually don't know exactly what year the book came out so i was like kind of like creating a whole range not <laughs> like 20 30 hours yeah somewhere between the 50s and the 70s is this book. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, we ask this question of every guest who comes on our podcast, uh, and it's basically, do you have a real life church horror story since the church can be quite horrific? And so for some people, it's just the church's bullshit, bad theology, all that stuff. For some people, they've told us demon possession stories and other supernatural stories. So the sky's the limit. Anything that you have that fits that? Yeah, I think that... Um... Father Shea probably has some more like vivid church horror stories, and certainly I've heard some from in our from our community members. Uh, my church experience was actually really lovely growing up. It, it kind of reminds me of like uh, like Midsummer or Pleasantville, where like it's <laughs> everything seems like bright and lovely on the surface, but like if you like go a little bit and leave the surface, it's actually like it's actually quite it's horrific. Really but there's like this veneer yeah. of like fun. Um, so I I grew up going to an evangelical Presbyterian church, which was like the worst of both worlds i think it was like double predest like double uh predestination and like you're inherently awful but also like go tell your friends that jesus loves them um so that plus young life were my two sort of like formative experiences yeah so it was like at church we would do like jello wrestling and we would have these like goofy like breakfasts before school on thursdays and like these like really fun summer camps but also like you can't trust your body. Your desires are inherently sinful. Your friends are going to burn in hell for eternity. 
Um, and the two things that stick out for me was I remember I was in like 10th grade and I don't remember what we were talking about, but like in passing, our youth pastor was just like, and we don't even have to talk about like why the Bible condemns homosexuality, do we? And someone else was like, nope, like it's clear. And there's definitely not a gay gene. Otherwise I would have found it already. And we like, just like moved on. And that was probably, that's like my only memory of my church talking about homosexuality, but it was just like so clear, like, like it's wrong. And there's like, everyone knows it and we don't even have to talk about it because like, that's how wrong it is. Um, and so like, I definitely internalized that. And then years later, my friends and I, who like knew each other from youth group, she's now like a progressive pastor, which our church would not ordain women. <laughs> so, um, we yeah. went back to go visit like the guy who was the youth, the junior high director when we were in junior high is like, well, at the time was like one of the associate pastors. And so we like went back to go here and preach and just like say hi. And at some point, some, one of the, pa- it might've been him even, someone said that like God loves some people more than others. And I was shocked and horrified and I like wrote it down on my like little program because I was like I don't want to like I want to make sure that like I don't later tell myself like maybe you misheard it or like maybe you're misremembering <laughs> like and I was just like that what a oh it's just like a sad vision of God and the world and your friends and your family and your community that like I think I can hold at the same time like a deep sadness for evangelical and conservative and anti-queer and anti-women and racist white supremacist Christians while also like recognizing like the harm that they do like even as they are harmed they do harm and so like anger and sadness is sort of like how I feel um but I try to not ever let go of the sadness for them because it's like oh god like that is like hell I want you to be like I want you to find salvation (laughs) right like not for me but for you yeah the salvation here on earth, just like the hell here on earth. Yeah, uh-huh. Kingdom of God on earth that is in heaven. So it sounds like you probably had then a journey, not only of like your own coming out, but also kind of figuring out what polyamory was and that that resonated with you. Can you tell us some about that? Yeah, definitely. As I was figuring out that I was queer and then coming to terms with that, I definitely, it's like, it was very important to me that I was like, I have, but I can still be a Christian and I'm still going to be monogamous and then get married and have kids. Like I'm going to do all that before, like, before I'm 30, just like stay on the same path, just like make this like one little tweak. Um, and I like quickly realized that like that was not actually like a journey towards health and wholeness. And so yeah. I took a break from church for a number of years and just like made a lot of queer friends, like some for queer Christians who like figure their shit out already and some who were like atheist or Jewish or Buddhist or like whatever it might be, like Wiccan. Um, and like, I don't know, drank a bit and like had some like promiscuous sex and like then was ashamed and like took lots of like long dramatic showers. <laughs> um, and eventually found my way back to faith via activism. I was part of the Soul Force Equality mm-hmm. Ride, which visits, co- or at the time was visiting colleges and universities that discriminate against queer people to start and sustain conversations around the theology that undergirds that and like the impact of those policies and so at some schools we had like really productive dialogues at some schools we did nonviolent direct action and were arrested because they would not engage with us um it's just been really cool because now now that was like 15 years ago because <laughs> i'm like old and so like it's like really cool to see like the changes like some schools have been doubling down and some schools are making slow changes and some schools are making big changes and to hear from 
like students who you know are, are my age they were my age like maybe a year or two younger than me at the time like reach out 15 years later and be like i was at seattle pacific when you like gave that talk like mm-hmm. that it like changed the trajectory of my life because of that and so it's like really cool to see like with time um the ripples that that has created um and so then i was you know with my partner for like a year and a half and i think that actually i don't necessarily understand my polyamory as like and sort of like inherent sexual orientation like I discovered one day that I was polyamorous but like my polyamory I think comes from like my values that like as I was like getting involved in like sort of more like liberation activism and also like queer activism and like progressive Christianity um I was like oh I think that like my values and my faith kind of compel me to question this structure and some of the assumptions that I was bringing into it and to sort of like loosen up my grip on control and ownership and um and not to say that like you can't you can't like you can't be monogamous in like an ethical way um but I think it does take a lot a lot of work to do that and so uh, most many monogamous folks like aren't doing, doing that work um and so yeah, I think, like, for me, it was a bit of a conscious choice to say, like, well, let me just sort of, like, see what this could be um, and what this, like, might mean for me mm-hmm. and how I might live into these values. And I think always with the idea that, like, I don't, I'm not, I could see myself being monogamous at some point in the future, um, but having it be something that is, like, chosen, like, intentionally, rather, like, monogamy, that is rather than just sort of like, well, it has to be this way or like, mm-hmm. of course it's this way or about like, what will my church think? What will my parents think? Or um, I need to like sort of like some sort of like sense of like proving that like queer people quote unquote can be monogamous. Um, it's like, is this the, is this the relationship structure that fits for us at this moment? It's like, feels like a more important question than just sort of like accepting it as a default. Um and like yeah. right now, the answer is like polyamory is what works, but I could see at the in the future that changing. <laughs> sure. That's we talked about in our first episode. We've talked about it on Nerds at Church, the other podcast that I co-host. Um, but like the idea of relationship anarchy, which is mm-hmm. this, right, like that rejects compulsory heterosexuality and heteronormativity, mm-hmm. which is kind of what you're talking about, right? Like the having to fit in this box and prove that we're enough. Um, but then says, no, it's about relationships based in consent and mutual agreements on how we choose to live together and valuing the diver- the fuller diversity of relationships that we have. That it's mm-hmm, not just mm-hmm. one sexual or romantic partner who is supposed to be your complete other half and fill mm-hmm. all of your needs, but actually that like we are complicated people and social people. And so we need yeah. more people in our lives and there are more relationships that are valuable than just that one. And that that yeah. one is still valuable for Yeah. Because even if you're monogamous, you're not getting all your needs met <laughs> by from mm-hmm. just one other person. Like we are already all sort of like doing it. We all already have many loves. And so like maybe for you, it looks like not having sex with other people. I'm like, cool. But like, maybe it doesn't, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 I found it very interesting too. And I love your description of like kind of being compelled to look into polyamory uh, from kind of your ethics and values. And so I wonder like how has being polyamorous 
in and living that out enrich your faith or your relationship with the divine perhaps your relationship with your partners even yeah oh my goodness in all the ways um i think that i'll start with my partner um i think that like by sort of like sort of saying like you can love who you want to love and you can spend time with who you want to spend time with and you can form relationships in the way that you want to form relationships just really makes it special that like for the past 13 years, like we've been spending a lot of time together and like forming deep bonds and going on adventures and like we live together and we have like, we own a car together now. Like, Mm -hmm. but like, it's not because like, I don't know if we were evangelical Christians, like 11 years ago, we like promised that like we would forever be together. Right. And we like feel shame about like breaking that promise. It's like every day it's like, Oh, you're here because you like choose to be here. And I don't have Mm -hmm. to, I don't have to worry about like, do you have a crush on someone else? Do you think someone else is attractive? It's like, yeah, like I know who you have crushes on and like, I can, that doesn't like threaten our relationship and I can kind of like be giddy <laughs> for you yeah. too. Cause it's like, yeah, he is cute. Like go kiss him. Um, <laughs> so I like, and, and I, what it's, it's been cool also. Cause like, you know, we've been together for over 13 years now to sort of like, we are, we've been together since we were 23. So in a lot of ways we're like, this sort of like wild and crazy, unconventional polyamorous. Like we were polyamorous in like 2009 when it was like way less cool, right? Um, and so our friends were like, in some ways you're like the least conventional couple we know, but also like you've been together since you were 23. Like that is probably like, pretty old school. Um, <laughs> and so like, I get to like, we're not the same people. I get to like fall in love with Peter like over and over and over and over again, uh, which is just like, oh my God, really cool. Some people don't get to fall in love once. Like, and I get to fall in love with mm-hmm. the same person at countless times. Um, so I love that. And then I think like when it comes to like uh, my faith and the divine, I think that there's this sort of like cyclical relationship that happens for, like through the work of holding queerness and polyamory like in conversation with spirituality, um, which is like why we teach queering the Bible and Christianity polyamory is that like you're sort of like faith can inform your relationships and then your relationships can inform your faith. And it just sort of like makes each like more sacred. Um, And so I think like one of the things that pops up is like, I don't know, like I have agape tattooed on my wrist, which is sort of, you know, God's self-sacrificing love. Um, And I think about like in the practice of like being in a polyamorous relationship, like what does it like mean to sort of like do love and to be like Mm -hmm. self-sacrificial in my love? Um, I remember reading Patrick Chang's radical love where he, quotes Marcella althaus Reed talking about where she says she calls like the Trinity an orgy and I was like oh my god <laughs> I remember like being like 19 and like fantasizing about being in an orgy and I was like I could I could never and it's like well if the Trinity is an orgy like maybe like maybe me wanting to have an orgy isn't so bad um and then to like and then to then you know I I tell the story of like, there's this guy that I had this, like I hooked up with a few times and we went over to, I went over to his place and uh, we started to hook up and it just, something was off. And at first he was like, Oh, it's just like the, like the physics aren't quite working. And I was like, I don't know. I think it's more than just like the physics of the sex that we're trying to have. And so we just sort of like curled over and cuddled for a little bit. And I was like, anything you want to talk about? And he was like, no, if I talk about it, I'll start crying. And I was like, okay. And so I just sort of like played with his hair. And then like, he started talking about some boy who was breaking his heart and like, he cried and like, I like, you know, rubbed, you know, his hair a little bit some more. And then like, it was time for like him to go to school. Like he was a studying dance. Uh, And so he was like time for him to go back to his classes and like me to go back to work. And I was like, oh, like, 
offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, as a living sacrifice. Like this is worship. But I was like, oh, like our bodies here, like being there for one another. Like this is a sacred moment that I think I like might have Mm -hmm. missed if I hadn't been practicing looking for the divine and um, and unexpected places. And, and so then like, what is that? Like, it's just sort of like, you know, like for many people, God is like this idea, right? You like can't see God. Like most people can't like literally hear God's voice. And so like, but to be able to experience God in a stranger or in your partner or in like, you know, when, when someone's like uncomfortable, but pushes through it anyways, like, it's like, oh, like this is, this is divine. Um, And so I sort Mm -hmm. of, my friends and my partners have like become physical manifestations of the divine in really beautiful ways. That's awesome. And that's a great, like, I was just at a like school board meeting um, where they were doing queer phobic things in pride month. Like you do. Mm, great. Um, and <laughs> part of it was like, they were so obsessed with like sexualizing everything mm-hmm. um, and talking about like particular types of sex and that sort of thing. And so like that example specifically is like this beautiful recognition that like, it's not always all about sex. Like, there mm-hmm. are ways to be intimate and to be close. And certainly folks who are asexual and aromantic, like know this about really well. Yeah. But, that like we can be intimate without sex and we can be intimate with sex. And like, there's a whole, a whole palette of options. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the realm of faith and faith experiences, we also have scripture and scripture is, <laughs> something that we wrestle with and some sometimes we I had a, a Hebrew Bible prof a Hebrew prof who was like yeah sometimes you have to preach against scripture mm-hmm. and so I think we know a lot of the preaching against scripture but as you've talked about like there are scripture passages and verses that are absolutely beautiful and affirming so I'm curious what are some of your favorite Bible passages or Bible verses that connect with polyamory or with God's expansive love, that sort of thing. Yeah. This is just like my absolute jam. So I talk about, <laughs> I've got tons, like I could have a whole, I could go on and on and on. Um, there's m- even many more inside of a Christianity polyamory course. And I'm working on a book proposal <laughs> to explore Christianity and po- like these connections between Christianity and polyamory even more. Um, but one of the things that I've like been really jamming on recently is the story of like the fishes and loaves, which mm. growing up Christian, I know about, Jesus' story, but also I just like a few weeks ago discovered that it's also in the Hebrew Bible slash Old Testament that like Elisha makes loaves multiply as well. And I was like, oh man, like <laughs> Jesus just plagiarizing. Um, but like I, you know, I, because that just like so, I think that a lot of people's objections to polyamory is like, I'll become, or, or an open relationship is like, if my partner date someone else, hooks up with someone else, loves someone else, that there will be like less for me. Um, that we think of it as like a pie that gets like divided up. And so there's like less pie pieces left. Um, and I just, that has like not been my experience of it, that it's like that love when it's shared multiplies. And so like idea of like having some love or having something special, like this relationship that I had with Peter for for 13 years now like we have this really special thing and then at some point we decided to like share it and like 13 years later we have like like friends are like you know our chosen family now that we met because of like through hookup apps and now we're going on vacation together with and like friends of friends and 
um, like people that I like haven't hooked up with, but whose like lives have been transformed because of like our openness. Um, I think like even in monogamous relationships, like even if we're not having sex, like you, there's this whole idea of like emotional affairs, right? But that, that I'm like able to like be present for people in really deep and meaningful ways. And so just like, oh my God, I feel like we started with, I don't know, two fishes and seven loaves or five loaves or whatever it was. And now like 13 years later, we've just got like, an apartment full <laughs> of fish and loaves <laughs> yeah. um, of loves. And so I like that really, that really resonates with me. Mm-hmm. And then um, the other thing that really resonates with me is this passage or this verse. I really like to look at whole passages of career theology. So I'm kind of breaking my own rule, but um, <laughs> John 15, 13, you know, greater love has no than this to lay one's life down for one's friends. And just thinking about like, to be in a long-term relationship with someone. This is true in, in monogamy also, but it feels like extra sort of like baked into the culture of polyamory of like, I love you. And so like, sometimes that may mean like, I'm going to be like, be uncomfortable. Um, that like, maybe even like my, I'm going to like figure out a way to like take a back seat, but in ways that like, don't like make me small or like get steamrolled over, but sort of like to powerfully choose to like, let you shine or let you explore or let you grow um and to sort of like to tying it back to like the sort of idea of agape of like how do we love in ways that like sometimes are uncomfortable um but like for the benefit of the other person um and i think also like i had a boy i had another boyfriend for for a few years and we just like realized like we didn't fit together it wasn't serving us for to be boyfriends um and, like, it was really hard because, like, I want to just, like, I, like, want to hold on to him and I, like, miss him. And we're still close friends now, but, like, he's, like, being monogamous with someone that he's, like, really happy with. And so, like, there's, like, sometimes I'm sad because, like, I like I want to make him happy, right? But I also have this sort of, like, higher level of, like, love and consciousness <laughs> where it's, yeah. like, I am, I'm happy for you. Like, I love you so much that, like, we should break up. Because, like, I'm getting in the way of, like, this is, like, not serving you. And, like, also, like, I was kind of, like, towards the end, we were both kind of miserable because it was, like, square peg, round hole. Like, it wasn't working for either one of us. Um, And so to, like, live into that, like, discomfort and say, like, yeah, like, like, sometimes love is letting go. And sometimes that, you know, let them free. And if they come back to you, like, they're yours for forever, you know? And if they don't, they were never yours. It's, like, cliche, but also, like, I don't know, like, like, kind of true um that like there's there's something beautiful about that also i think there's then there's a deeper trust in that right like trusting that you can say when things aren't working and you can make changes and that doesn't automatically mean you're no longer in that person's life right like my first girlfriend is my best friend and like the idea that like you can't be friends with your exes or you can't Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is just like i mean it's such a cis hat concept yeah, right, right. Like, and so then to be there's like not enough queers them. to go around right yeah <laughs> also yeah. true also true yeah yeah a thousand percent and that was also um making me think of we uh shortly before this episode drops uh our full-length episodes which are usually about movies will uh, the one coming out before this one will be on 30 Days of Night, which is a fun vampire movie if you've never seen it. But like towards the end, Emily and I got into this really deep conversation about like the ways that l- out of love for something, you also stand up to it. You can challenge it. We're speaking mm-hmm. specifically about the church. So I love that this is like mm-hmm. another piece of that love, like of out of love. Sometimes you have to say goodbye. Sometimes you have to renegotiate. Sometimes you have to be uncomfortable and just all the expansive ways we can talk about love. 
Yeah, and I think that vulnerability ends up like strengthening like the love and the commitment. You know, there's been a few times over the past 13 years where we've been like, one of us has been like, I don't know, I've been having some doubts, or I, I don't know if this is working, or like, I've been wondering if like, maybe we would be better off separately. And like, usually that person is like, yeah, I know, I love you. I can tell you've been thinking about that. And, like, and, then, we, and then we talk about it for like an hour. And then it's like, oh my God, I don't want to, I definitely don't want to break up. Like I want to, like to be in it, to have a partner that I can say like, I don't know how this is working. And that for them to be like, to hold space for that and to like figure mm-hmm. it out collaboratively rather than for it to come across as like an attack or like an or accusation. It's just yeah. like, uh-huh. Yeah. Like the sort of like, let's just sort of like hold this lightly. And then I think ends up being a much counterintuitively, a much more solid grasp. than if you try to like hold on so tight, you crush it. It's like when you drive, you can't actually white knuckle it and have good control. Yeah. Yeah. Loosely hold on. Mm -hmm. Um, We talked a little bit about this in part two, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on one of the, what are some of the harmful things that you've heard about polyamory from the church and perhaps on the arguments against it, anything like that? Yeah. So, you know, I think that obviously like, I don't know, anti queer and like not progressive Christians are going to say like all sorts of terrible stuff. And it's sort of like, I don't know. I tune that like shit out. Like I know that it's like, it's not, I don't, I'm not like an, like, you know, don't have like an ostrich like with my head buried in the sand. Right. Like I'm a, I've like read it enough that it's like yeah okay i got it i don't have to continue subjecting myself to that sort of like abuse and trauma all over again i think some Mm -hmm. queer folks feel like we have to like i always have to be up on like what this mega church pastor is saying and like what that viral star is saying and it's like you don't like you already know it like once you know it all you like you know it all (laughs) Um, so i like i don't know so i like so I, i mostly just like filter all that noise out um, I will say that when we were first starting to talk about Christianity and polyamory at queer theologies, like someone wrote and he was like, I am a gay man and like, it's okay to be gay and Christian, but like, you know, the Bible is clear that like polyamory is not okay. Like this is a step too far. And I was like, I don't know what Bible you're reading, <laughs> but in my Bible, it seems like there's much more room for non-monogamy than there is for like quote unquote like homosexual sexual behavior like i mean i don't i I obviously i don't think the bible condemns queerness either but it's like my my man (laughs) right right i don't think that's the case um but so there's like that where this sort of like i don't know like queer christians that just like really want so badly to be affirmed by their conservative churches that they're sort of like trying but at this sort of like respectability politics that i think Mm. is ultimately Mm -hmm. not going to get any of us free which is like harmful um, so I think like we get that sometimes, but also I yeah. think that sometimes for me, what I've experienced as the most harmful is well-intentioned, progressive, like usually monogamous Christian folks, like the questions that they ask and sort of like the assumptions that are like baked into those questions. And then it gets like couched in this sort of like, I'm just asking questions. Like, let's just have a discussion about it. And it's like, well, you have a podcast or this is in a like public um clubhouse room or like this isn't a small group meeting so like you're not just asking a question to like your therapist or your like coach or like your best friend who has told you you can ask these questions you're like putting this idea like out into the ether um so like you know i once like someone asked me to talk about like how like polyamory doesn't actually harm children and it's like well like like because it doesn't like i don't know like you can go like there's studies about this 
why we like you've got a po- you've yeah. got like a real life polyamorous <laughs> Christian in the room, and like that's the question you want to ask is like something you can Google. Like, so I think the well intentioned questions about like like are you, someone was like are you like maybe people aren't really polyamorous they've just like they're in they were like sort of like because of purity culture were like forced into our like relationship that wasn't right for them early and they got married and they don't want to let go of that and so they're like trying not to be polyamorous because they don't want to like get divorced and it's like okay like and like so and so so what right. like, if it's working for them cool if they decide it's not working for them like they can end it like trying out polyamory and deciding it doesn't work for you like is not like the worst thing in the world um and so i think like there's just sort of like this sort of like privileging of monogamous relationships and families with monogamous um parents that get sort of like baked into these like well-intentioned questions that like i just wish lots of people would like think about the implications of their questions more especially when they're like Mm -hmm. It, like especially like when they're in a public space or a, like extra especially if they're like the leader or like the facilitator or the interviewer it's like you have power and a platform and by like putting those questions out there like you're also making a statement and you're depriving polyamorous people of like sharing our own stories like in our own words and exploring the ways in which polyamory enriches our lives and our faiths and sort of like asking us to sort of like be in this like reactive defensive mode which just feels like Gross. Like, imagine if every time I was talking to a monogamous person, I was like, like, prove to me that monogamy isn't inherently abusive. Yeah. Right? Can you yeah. Now it's like, biblically, you get your justification for yeah. monogamy because I'm just like every t- coming yeah. up with examples. Right? Uh huh. Yeah. Exactly that, Emily. I love it. That is real. Is there. Any, this has been a great conversation. Um, yeah. But is there anything else that you would like to share or any questions you wish we had asked? This has been so lovely. I like, yeah. I, I, someone who, someone who interviewed me about Christianity and polyamory a few years ago reached out to me like a, a week or two ago and was like, I was just re listening to our episode because I'm like starting to open up my relationship and, uh, like you were so graceful in my as I sort of like like butchered my way through that interview and so but you all are experts like I yeah this has been a great interview (laughs) and so um like thank you for thank you for the good questions that we can really get into um and go beyond like the one-on-one because I think that's where the yeah that's what we try and do here at horror nerds um yeah our last thing is we usually try to include a submission of somebody's that is a like story of their own horror church horror church story or delightful church story um and we're trying to do polyamory polyamory ones um for these minisodes so i'm going to read um a story from an anonymous submission and then we talk about it a little so this person writes i was discerning a call to ministry as a deacon in the eel which is the denomination that both pace and i are most associated with of lutherans um for those not familiar, a deacon is ordained to word and service, whereas a pastor is ordained to word and sacrament. A way too simple way to say it is that pastors are inward-facing ministers to a congregation or deacons are outward-facing. I met with a queer pastor who was willing to help me discern my call. She already knew I was in a polyamorous relationship before the meeting. At the meeting, she told me that congregations were allowed to have expectations about the sexual conduct of their pastors outside of church life, and so it would be difficult for me to find a call to be a deacon, if not impossible. She strongly advised me against 
I left that meeting disheartened and resigned to not being. I have since seen many acquaintances, friends, and colleagues face various forms of discrimination by their ordaining church body for being polyamorous, only furthering my. But what I found interesting in retrospect was hearing from an openly queer pastor that it is allowed for congregations to have expectations about the sexual conduct of their pastors outside of church life, when that very argument is predominantly what is used by congregations with queer people from minutes. To be clear, I understand having sexual ethics and expectations about power dynamics and not being involved with anyone within the congregation. I do not understand why a congregation learned about ethical polyamorous relationships founded on my polyamorous relationships have taught me so much about the divine, not just how deep God's love is, but how wide and ex- and likewise how deep wants of my love to If only the church was willing to hear from us polyamorous folks about how polyamory is about the radical and empowering love capable of reflections of who, mm. right? That's, That's like, big. Yeah. And it's this like beautiful, I mean, it is a beautiful articulation of like the intersection of faith and sexuality in terms of the person's actual experience of being polyamorous um and it's all like overshadowed by this (laughs) really like i think i think it's part of and like within the elca i can speak to that most clearly but i imagine this is true for other denominations um but there is this sense that um that sex means anything that can or has ever been called sex or sexual Right. right so like in that sense, when we talk about things like rape, that is considered like a sexual experience. It's not. It mm-hmm. is rape. But mm-hmm. there's this weird way that because, particularly in the LCA, we have refused to talk about sexuality. Like, mm-hmm. we forced ourselves to have really terrible conversations with terrible framing and all of that stuff in order to pass the policy change to ordain people. Mm. And then we're like, okay, now we don't have to talk about it ever again. And nobody can make us don't even try it. Right. Which Mm -hmm. means we have terrible sexual ethics in the ELCA. And this is part of it that like, we don't Mm -hmm. even know what counts as sex and what is not Mm -hmm. actually sex. I also think it, it reminds me a lot about what you were saying too, Brian, about how one of your first emails when you started talking about polyamory was from someone within the queer community speaking against it. And here mm-hmm. that that's kind of the dynamic going on too. And just how how sad it is that in theory, we as a um, expansive, radical, marginalized community still gatekeep and still like are very like judgmental often about other people's lives within the community, even when it doesn't pertain to us and isn't hurting us or harming people in any way so it's just sad that that is often the case too yeah Yeah. i think that what sticks out for me is that like it's just like it just is like everything in here is true right like it's just it's just all is and so like the question for this person or people in similar situations is like okay like these are the facts on the ground like so then what like the elsa is probably not going to be openly ordaining polyamorous deacons or pastors like for decades if not lifetimes and so like you have lots of different ways that you could go like you could be one anyways like you can like be be quiet about it you could be one anyways and be open about it and just sort of like come what may you could like be open somewhere else it's like up for each individual person to choose what they do with like the Mm -hmm. facts on the ground but i think like this is such a beautiful summation of like the way things are and so then it's sort of like I just also like want to encourage folks to like not get like stuck in 
the like, ah, oh, it sucks and it shouldn't be this way. And it's like, yeah, it sucks and it shouldn't be this way. And so like take as much time as you need to like name that and grieve that, like, and then mm-hmm. figure out like, well, what is your, like, h- like how do you let out your relationship call as well as your spiritual call yeah. in or outside of the ELCA yeah. or whatever, like insert denomination or church body right. organization. <laughs> yeah. That was my, I was, or I was, I started the process to become a pastor before policy change. And so I was asked to sign that I would follow things that I was not willing to follow. And the way that I phrased it was, I'm not willing to say no to love in order to be a pastor. And that mm-hmm. has been a really helpful guide since then, like even through policy mm-hmm. change, right? But that each time those questions come up, it's, okay, love is more important to me than a call to be a pastor because it is a way, it is also a call. I like yeah. That. And I also know people who are like, I'm just going to sign like whatever I have to sign to get ordained. I'm just going to sign the thing. And like, yep. then I'm going to be polyamorous. <laughs> like, yep. yeah. and like, then they can fire me, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's like, I don't like really take one position or the other. It's for, like, yeah, yeah. each person has to just discern that for themselves. And I think that they're Agreed. both beautiful and yeah. Yep. yep. Being dishonest right. in a corrupt system is not a morally terrible thing because the system yeah. itself is already. Well, this has been such an amazing episode and interview thank you again so much for your time uh it 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 really has been a pleasure Uh, where can our um other where can our listeners find you uh do you have social media accounts any projects you want to um talk about anything like that yeah so if you're interested in like specifically the intersections of like christianity and polyamory or christianity and sexuality in general like queer theology is the spot for you um queertheology.com slash polyamory for polyamory stuff queertheology.com slash sex for sexual ethics more broadly we're on instagram twitter facebook tiktok um either queer theology or q theology it's q theology on facebook and twitter um but you can just search for it we're there um and and if you want sort of like more practical sort of like brass tacks like how to open up an open relationship how to open up a monogamous relationship or how to sort of like improve upon your already open or polymerous relationship um through coaching you can connect with me personally through my uh this is bgm on all the social medias or relationshift.us. <laughs> yeah. And that's it for our show. If you would like to write into us and share your real life church horror story, especially if you are polyamorous or would like to share a story about being polyamorous, horror filled, or divine, please do so by emailing us at horrornerdsatchurch at gmail.com or going to https colon slash slash bit.ly bit.ly sorry slash hnac our theme music was by matt may who along with pace edited this episode for nerds at church releases every thursday please comment rate and subscribe to us on apple podcasts google podcasts stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts support us on patreon and get access to exclusive movie commentary episodes youtube episodes and more bonus content by going to patreon.com slash for nerds at church It's only $5 to sign up, which is cheaper than a coffee date. Follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at HNACpod for all the latest updates about upcoming films and other announcements. Until next time, keep loving authentically and expansively. (laughs) 